The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 58, July 2019, Number 1. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Tim Corbett in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention, Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, MN 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection, 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 605-475-8130. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACBNATIONAL or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. Copyright 2019 American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, VA 22311. This issue of the ACB Braille Forum is dedicated to the memory of Carol M. McCarl. November 28, 1938 to May 2, 2019. Caption. Carol McCarl, sporting a navy sweater over a navy and white striped blouse, stands at an aisle microphone waiting her turn to speak at the 2002 ACB convention in Houston. Table of Contents Introducing ACB's new Membership Services Coordinator by Eric Bridges President's Message, Where Did the Time Go? by Kim Charlson Celebrating Six Years of Success and Looking Ahead 
by Ron Brooks. Staying in Touch in Rochester by Janet Dickelman. How to Use Social Media to Enhance Your Outreach, compiled by Artis Bazin. Independence by Paul Edwards. Independence and Interdependence by Lynn Corral. Oaks and Willows by Holly Turry. Summer Memories by Jean Mann. In Memoriam, Carol M. McCarl, November 28, 1938 to May 2, 2019, by Sharon Lovering. Passings. Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski. High Tech Swap Shop. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666 or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce Listserv. Send a blank email to announce-subscribe at acblists.org or visit www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e and type your email address and name where indicated. The ACB Radio Cafe features the work of blind artists 24-7 at www.acbradio.org slash C-A-F-E. Got a request? Tune in to ACB Radio Interactive and ask the DJ on duty to play it for you at www.acbradio.org. R-A-D-I-O dot O-R-G. Introducing ACB's new Membership Services Coordinator by Eric Bridges. I am pleased to announce the hiring of Cindy Van Winkle to be ACB's Membership Services Coordinator. Since 2016, Cindy has served as Development and Community Outreach Coordinator at the Lighthouse for the Blind in Seattle. In her role at the Lighthouse, she has been responsible for providing coordination and oversight of volunteer, school tour, and workplace giving programs, producing and posting appropriate and mission-related content across social media platforms, leading tours and making presentations sharing the Lighthouse mission and history, and working closely with and supporting the development team on annual fund initiatives and fundraising events. Professionalism, enthusiasm, and a sincere heart for the rights of the blind community are attributes Cindy wears daily. She has spent all of her adult life working in the blindness arena. Cindy is a motivator by nature and finds great fulfillment in encouraging others to do well, providing them the tools necessary to be successful.
She has been an active member of the American Council of the Blind for over 30 years and is a passionate supporter of our mission. Cindy started working in the Minneapolis office on June 10th. Her email address is cvanwinkle at acb.org. Please join me in welcoming her to the team. President's Message Where Did the Time Go? by Kim Charlson. By the time most of you read this message, ACB will be gathering to meet and will be electing its next president. I marvel on how six years could go by so quickly. I have had so many amazing experiences, met many dedicated and committed members, worked hard on serious and important issues for people who are blind, traveled to exciting and not-so-exciting places around the globe, and learned so much from so many people. I was honored to represent ACB and the United States in several countries as one of ACB's delegates for the World Blind Union. I traveled to Bangkok, Thailand, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Antigua, and Sao Paulo, Brazil. There were always challenges in new countries with different customs and traditions, but I hope I left people with positive feelings about the work of ACB and our great nation. I had opportunities to work with so many of our wonderful staff on many important issues. Their dedication to ACB's key issues is stellar, and their persistence is noteworthy. The same can be said about the leadership of ACB, the various board members I have worked with over the last six years, the committee chairs and affiliate presidents, all have strong commitment and intent for making their community, state, or affiliate a strong organization providing advocacy and leadership to people who are blind wherever it is needed. I always knew where to turn for support and assistance on key issues. I also had the opportunity to work and advocate with industry on many issues of importance to our community. One area of particular importance to me is access to television and audio description. Let me share with you an interesting Internet access case I worked on with Tom Ludkowski of Comcast. All involved deserve a big shout-out for working to make something very special happen for a 92-year-old woman in rural Virginia. An ACB member in North Carolina reached out to me about her cousin's grandmother, who is totally blind. Her family purchased her an Alexa so she could listen to books and have some entertainment. They were working with Comcast and were told that they would have to pay $1,200 up front in order to get Internet service. The family asked for my help to find a solution to this problem. As background, she was having a hard time adjusting to using the library player and other technology. When she went into the hospital recently, her social worker and physical therapist requested that her family get her Alexa, which requires Wi-Fi. It was thought that it would be easier for her to learn since she would not be required to learn a computer-like device first. An Alexa device would help with setting alarms, timers, reminders, etc. After I reached out to Tom Ludkowski, asking for his intervention, he got back to me with the following positive news. Great news! Just heard from my go-to person in our special operations team that handles escalations for me. 
She worked with the local market in Virginia, and they were able to find a way to get service to this customer with no construction costs. They reached out to the contact to arrange everything. My thanks to Tom and the Comcast team for making this a reality for someone who really needed access. I have always enjoyed solving problems, making system change, and working for the good of all. Being president of ACB provided me an opportunity to channel my interests and passions toward positive system change. I will always value my time as ACB president and know I still have much work to do for ACB in several areas. I will continue to work on international issues with the World Blind Union. There is always work to do with the Audio Description Project, and I have taken on a new leadership assignment guiding the Subject Matter Expert Committee to develop an international certification for audio describers and audio describer consultants for the ACVREP over the next two years. I also anticipate providing support to the next president in whatever way I can moving forward, and I may even have some time to catch up on some recreational reading that has backed up since I was elected president. Whatever I do, ACB will be at the forefront in my heart moving forward. Thank you to all of you for giving me one of the greatest opportunities to serve that I can imagine. It has been an honor. Celebrating Six Years of Success and Looking Ahead by Ron Brooks For the past six years, I have served as a member of the ACB Board of Publications, three of those as chairman. I have enjoyed numerous opportunities to meet many of you, to hear your comments and concerns, to answer your questions, and to learn from your experiences. At the end of this year's ACB conference and convention, my time on the BOP will come to an end, so this seems like a good time to reflect on where the BOP has been and where the BOP may be heading in the future. From Lemons to Lemonade, the ACB eForum In 2012, the economy was on the rocks and ACB needed to stretch every dollar. Meanwhile, more and more ACB members were accessing the Internet, signing up for email and subscribing to lists, and obtaining electronic Braille displays and other assistive technology. With these trends as a backdrop, the BOP decided to expand non-paper alternatives for the newly renamed ACB Braille Forum. We began producing an electronic version of the ACB Braille Forum, which we called the eForum. We began alternating the two versions of the forum, and we began actively promoting the non-paper versions as a means of maintaining content and managing cost. Over the next several years, we opened additional avenues for consuming the ACB Braille and eForum magazines, including ACB Radio, the ACB Link mobile app, via podcast, and even by phone. These efforts culminated in 2018 with the launch of the ACB Braille Forum, the ACB eForum, and the ACB Mini Mall Catalog on NLS-compatible cartridge. So what began as a pretty sour lemon has been squeezed into a very sweet glass of lemonade that is available to almost anyone thirsty for information about the ACB. Partnering in Print 
Early in my tenure on the BOP, a number of large print readers were at a meeting expressing concerns about the large print format being used for the ACB Braille Forum. This was a long-standing issue that needed a resolution. So, the BOP and the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, partnered on what we called the Large Print Reader Preference Survey. Our goal was to gain statistical information on what worked best for large print readers so we could incorporate those findings into our approach for producing ACB publications. We launched the new ACB Braille form design in 2018, and, so far, the feedback has been positive. We are still working to refine the formatting for other ACB publications, including our convention program. A redesigned format will be introduced at this year's convention. But the real story is the open and cooperative partnership which the BOP and CCLVI have forged. It is a partnership that will continue to pay dividends long into the future. Out with the old and in with the new. As mentioned earlier, we transitioned from cassette tapes to NLS-compatible cartridges in 2018, and we are seeing very positive results. First, cartridges are easier and quicker to produce. Second, they offer more storage capacity, which means we are now able to share all publications with cartridge recipients, including the Braille and eForum magazines, ACB Reports, and the ACB Minimal Catalog. And the proof is in the pudding. Since launching the cartridge format in 2018, we have seen a steady increase in the number of cartridge subscriptions, which means we are better addressing the needs of those members who prefer this format. Expanded Election Coverage At the 2017 Fall Board Meeting, the ACB Board encouraged the BOP to hold the ACB Candidates Forum before the convention as a means of getting candidate information to prospective voters and the affiliates more quickly. This meant introducing a new format hosted by ACB Radio and Zoom. With some trepidation, the BOP agreed, and we hosted our first-ever totally remote ACB Candidates Forum in June of 2018. The forum was a complete success, enjoying high turnout and good member engagement. We supplemented the Candidates Forum with a town hall meeting during the 2018 convention, and it was also well attended. We are following the same approach in 2019, and we have every reason to believe that this year's Candidates Forum and Town Hall meeting will be just as successful as it was in 2018. Better still, the new approach is making our election process more accessible to more members, including those who cannot attend the annual convention. The theme is success. Perhaps the most fundamental change the BOP has made in terms of its publications and the action for which I am most proud is our introduction of themed issues of the ACB eForum in 2018. About three months before the publication of each edition of the eForum, we select a theme that we believe will be relevant for our members and we develop content focused on that theme. This content has included everything from traditional articles to affiliate profiles to stories and poetry. 
So far, we have covered a range of topics, including going back to school, employment and rehabilitation, traditions, relationships, and diversity. At the end of each edition of the ACBE Forum, we include a short survey, and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. In addition to kudos for the new format, we are getting lots of ideas for future themes. A further indication of the success of themed issues is the board's decision to increase funding for the ACB Braille Forum. This has allowed us to increase the amount of content we include in each edition of the ACB Braille Forum, and recently we began to introduce mini-themes in each hard copy edition of the forum. More for the story. The accomplishments listed above are notable, but they only tell part of the story. The BOP produces and maintains ACB's Editorial Policy Manual, oversees the production of the convention program, the convention newspaper, and a number of other publications. We also conduct an annual writer's workshop at each year's ACB convention. Finally, we present three annual awards, the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award, the Hollis Liggett Braille Free Press Award, and the Vernon Henley Media Award. All of these activities require time and commitment on the part of BOP members. For this reason, I encourage anyone who is interested to learn more about the BOP and to get involved. You can learn more by checking out the BOP page on the ACB website and or by speaking to any of our members. The Road Ahead The Board of Publications is working hard to support ACB's information needs in a rapidly changing environment. Content needs to be shorter, easier to consume, and available in minutes or hours rather than in days or weeks. This almost certainly means a stronger focus on social media, email updates, and other channels that emphasize brevity and speed of publication, and the BOP will be collaborating with ACB Radio, the ACB Web Team, and a myriad of affiliates and committees to ensure success in all these areas. Although electronic media sources will grow in prominence, traditional channels will continue to be of critical importance as well. To this end, the BOP will continue to place tremendous emphasis on the quality and quantity of materials published in the Braille and eForum magazines. We will also work with the ACB editor on other publications, including the new bi-weekly update Dots and Dashes. Our goals will be writing excellence, production quality, and speed of distribution. Thanks for sharing the ride. The past six years have been amazing for me and successful for the BOP, but none of the achievements noted above could have happened without tremendous support from many. In addition to the hard work done by each member of the BOP, President Kim Charlson and the entire board of directors, Eric Bridges, Kelly Gask, and the rest of the ACB staff, and especially editor Sharon Lovering, all made immeasurable contributions of effort and support. These gifts of time, money, and hard work were critical for our success, and I will be forever grateful to everyone who gave so much. In addition to everyone noted above, I want to thank each person who read our publications, 
who provided feedback, who took one of our surveys, and or who submitted an article for one of our publications. You are the reason the BOP exists, and I speak for the entire BOP when I say that we are grateful for each of you. Staying in Touch in Rochester by Janet Dickelman The ACB Conference and Convention is fast approaching. Many of you will be reading this article as you are packing for Rochester. Convention dates are July 5th through 12th. Read on for information for convention attendees and those of you who will be staying connected from home. Attending Tours All tours will depart from the 20th Street entrance of the Convention Center. If you arrive Thursday evening, July 4th, after 9 p.m. and are on the Friday morning tour, don't worry. Your name will be on the tour list. Conference and Convention Program The program is available in large print, braille, NLS cartridge, deposit required, or emailed directly to you. You can also download the program from www.acb.org. You can listen to the program on NFB Newsline, subscription required, or on Audio Now by calling 605-475-8154. The program will also be available during the convention for download at the Information Desk located in the Convention Center. If you plan to join us in Rochester but have not registered, there's still time. On-site convention registration is just $25, or if you are in the Rochester area and plan to come for just one day, you can purchase a one-day pass for $5. Staying in touch from home. For those who are unable to attend this year, there are many ways to be part of all the action. With ACB Radio, you can stay connected with everything that is going on from the comfort of your home or office. All times shown are Eastern Time. Be a part of the excitement of opening session, listen to all the speakers, and follow ACB Business and Elections. General sessions begin Saturday evening, July 6th at 7 p.m., Sunday through Wednesday, 8.30 a.m. to noon, and Thursday from 8.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. All general sessions will be streamed live on ACB Radio. Also on ACB Radio Live Event, hear what the candidates for ACB office have to say as they answer questions at the ACB Candidates Town Hall Meeting, Wednesday, July 10th at 7.15 p.m., Hear all the great performances from the Friends in Art Showcase on Monday evening at 8 on ACB Cafe. ACB's banquet, including the banquet presentation and musical offering by Ginny Owens, will be streamed on ACB Radio Mainstream and Live Event on Thursday, July 11th at 7 p.m. ACB Radio will be broadcasting one afternoon session as a live broadcast. All live broadcasts will be on ACB Radio Live Event. Other ACB committee sessions will be recorded and broadcast later in the day on ACB Radio Live Event. No computer? No problem. You can listen to ACB Radio over the telephone by calling 605-475-8130. 
Please keep in mind that long-distance charges apply for these calls. You can also listen to ACB Radio using Alexa. Just tell her, ACB Radio from TuneIn, and the name of the menu you are looking for, such as Mainstream, Cafe, or Live Event. For those of you who are social media fans, you can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L or on Twitter at ACB National. The convention hashtag is hashtag ACB19. Convention Announce Email List To subscribe to the convention announce list, send a blank email to acbconvention-subscribe at acb.org. Convention Newspaper Keep up with what's going on at the convention with the Flower City Press, our convention newspaper. It will be published Friday, July 5th through Wednesday, July 10th. The newspaper will be posted to the convention announce and other email lists. For those of you who will be at the convention, make sure to visit the ACB Information Desk where you will find material in Braille, large print, and computer downloads, hotel orientation, local business information, and the convention newspaper are just some of the items that will be waiting for you. Digital Information File Download Service Would you like your newspaper, exhibit list, delegate list, or amendments in electronic format for your laptop or note-taker? Stop by the ACB Information Desk in Aqueduct A in the Convention Center in the morning. A volunteer will download all the latest files onto your thumb drive, SD card, or compact flash card. Follow the convention via ACB link on your iPhone or Android device. Download and install ACB link from the iOS App Store or Google Play Store. We will be sending out information and updates pertaining to the convention, for example, room changes. In addition, direct access to the ACB convention calendar and ACB radio can be obtained from within ACB link. Internet access. Complimentary wireless internet is available in the guest rooms in both hotels. Whether you are in Rochester or staying connected with us from home, I hope you have a wonderful convention experience. Feel free to contact me anytime during the convention by phone 651-428-5059 or via email janet.dicklman at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you in Rochester. How to Use Social Media to Enhance Your Outreach Compiled by Artis Bazin On this focus call, Katie Frederick discussed social media, primarily Facebook, and 
how to use it to benefit our affiliates. She said for an affiliate Facebook page, all content should be visually appealing. Your posts should contain high-quality content and be timely, relevant, and up-to-date. Kelly Gask can check your page visually if you need it. Contact her at kgasque at acb.org. You can ask Katie for assistance with content. Her email is k-a-t-i-e-f-r-e-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Some content to add or consider. Your affiliate's logo and ACB logo at the top. Pictures of affiliate activities. List of officers, board of directors, and contact information. Post current programs offered. Link to affiliate website. Subscription link to your email list. A donate button. Link to membership application. For regular posts, consider the following ideas. Affiliate updates, affiliate news, or happenings around your state. Conventions, promotions, walks, highlighting volunteers in affiliate. Posts from trustworthy source you feel confident sharing. Sharing ACB posts, especially legislative updates. Photos of what is happening. Nonprofit marketing. Check other affiliate pages, national pages, podcasts. Posts of interest to readers. Specific events. Giving Tuesday. Conferences. Highlighting members who have received awards. Connect with supporters. Mention groups connected with your organization, 80% relative to visually impaired members. Sharing videos of blindness products. Some tips for affiliates when managing a Facebook page. An affiliate should have at least two or three administrators who can post. Decide who posts when and where. Schedule posts regularly, at least a couple of times a week. Ask folks to like your page. Place your Facebook link in emails and newsletters. What is the advantage of a Facebook group versus a Facebook page? Groups can be used for calls to action among group members. It's a more personal connection. Members can do nonprofit storytelling. Members will feel more connected. You can draw in members with questions. It's a way to meet members where they are. With groups, you can message one another. Creating an event. Once you create an event on Facebook, make an announcement about the fundraiser or the event on your Facebook page giving the link. Share the link on your website. Keep sharing the link. Give the first ones who join a special reward. Make comments on event. Ask a question or have interaction with comments. Share info in the comments section. Collect names of those commenting for prizes. This membership focus call was recorded. To listen to it, call 712-775-7099 and use the access code 640-009-POUND sign. You don't need a reference number, just listen to the latest recording. Independence by Paul Edwards 
The mission statement of the American Council of the Blind says, The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. How are we as an organization to increase the independence of people who are blind or have low vision? Perhaps more importantly, what does independence mean? When our forefathers wrote the Declaration of Independence for our country, which we celebrate on the 4th of July each year, they thought of independence as enabling everyone they considered fully enfranchised to be able to optimize their ability to make the most of life freely and to be able to pursue happiness. When consumer organizations of blind people were created in 1940 in the United States, people who were blind were, as a group, profoundly dependent on others. The rehab system was in its infancy, and Helen Keller was just beginning her crusade to create separate agencies to meet the special needs of people who are blind. The talking book program was only six years old. Very few people who were blind were employed. The Social Security program had barely started. There were no tax credits for people who are blind. Most blind people who were working had jobs in sheltered workshops or in the very young Randolph Shepherd program, which was just beginning to allow people who are blind to operate tiny newsstands in federal buildings. There were laws on the books in many states that made it illegal for blind people to be out by themselves. There were many in our society who believed that people who are blind should not be allowed to have children. The only way to describe the society out of which the consumer movement emerged is custodial. By 1961, when the American Council of the Blind was born, a lot had changed. Blind people demanded civil rights long before any other group of people with disabilities did, and our movement was already challenging many of the custodial values at the heart of the services being offered to people who are blind in our country. Separate agencies to serve people who are blind was the norm then, and specialized service deliverers like orientation and mobility instructors and rehab teachers were beginning to provide training and adjustment to blindness in ways we now take for granted. The Perkins Brailler had arrived in 1947 and quickly became a prized possession of every person who was blind who owned one. Most children who were blind still went to blind schools. In most states, sighted counselors laid the law down and blind clients did what they were told. Braille books were rare and precious, and we were still 20 years away from the first talking computers and the most primitive Braille displays and Braille printers. While the ACB and the NFB had begun to demand that people who are blind be treated with respect, the first inkling of protection from discrimination did not become law until 1978 when the regulations for Section 504 of the Rehab Act of 1973 were finally rolled out after demonstrations by people with disabilities. If we fast forward to 2019, a lot is different. Clearly, technology, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and a mature social security system make life very different for people who are blind than it was back then. 
Clearly, too, the ACB and the NFB have moved in very different directions since they split in 1961. I think it is probably true that the independence of each person who is blind has increased over time. But I think that we have taken steps backward as well as forward and are still a long way from being free to easily pursue life and liberty. Let's look then at the three issues just raised. I think independence means very different things to NFB and ACB. The NFB has a clear notion of what a good, independent blind person is. A good blind person is a totally blind person. A good blind person does not ask for help very often, uses a long cane, and tends to be hard on people who are blind who are not behaving in the prescribed NFB way. People who have some useful vision are expected to recognize that they must learn all the skills a total has and are discouraged from optimizing their ability to use the vision they have. Totals are kings and queens. I think that it is also true that the NFB does not encourage the independence of local and state affiliates. Instead, these groups are dependent on the national organization for many of the initiatives they espouse. I think that ACB accepts people where they are and does not have a stereotypical notion of what a blind person ought to be. We certainly value people with low vision and their organization and support efforts to be sure that they, as the majority of people with vision loss, have their needs and rights acknowledged. I am not sure we are perfect at this, but we try. I think we encourage more independence for our state, local, and special interest affiliates. In fact, I think it could be argued that we go too far. Our national organization has its hands tied by the need to be sure to recognize the rights of our individual affiliates. In general, I think we in ACB value free expression and debate, which increases the independence of our individual and affiliate members. So, are we more independent than we were? I think so. Technology, the Internet mainstreaming, and increased access to services have all combined to create more options for people who are blind than existed in the past and have perversely decreased the degree to which most people who are blind feel the need of involvement in organizations of the blind. It is worth noting that, whatever statistics we use, only 10% of people who are blind are members of organizations of the blind. But, the independence that exists now can also be seen as isolation. I also think that people who are blind, as a group, have taken a step backward in terms of their independence because of the monolithic view of the rest of society that has emerged. There was a time when people who are blind were seen as deserving of support by the general public. Since we have demanded rights and associated ourselves with other disability groups in our quest for civil rights, we have come to be seen as members of a minority that, though clearly to be pitied, are also accused of seeking to take advantage of our situation by refusing to work and putting small businesses under threat by demanding accessibility accommodations that are unreasonable. We have forfeited some of our independent capacity to be supported by not behaving like good little blind people are supposed to behave. 
The truth is that neither people who are blind as a group nor any blind individual is truly independent. I think ACB recognizes that all of us are really interdependent. We depend on our forefathers who set the bar high in terms of the required vigilance that independence for our country requires. We set the bar even higher for ourselves by the actions we have taken since 1940 to build a society that demands that we, as people who are blind, must be included, respected, and allowed to pursue happiness. And, most of all, we are dependent on each other. Each of us reaffirms that it is okay to be blind and that we, as an organization, will work to increase independence for every person who is blind by helping each person who is blind to be all that he or she can be. So, let us celebrate the independence that interdependence creates and, through our togetherness in ACB, let freedom ring. Independence and Interdependence by Lynn Corral. Ever since I was a child, my mother drummed into my head that I should be independent. What was the reason for that? I'm sure she meant that I could walk on my own, go to a regular school, and go to recreational programs on my own, etc. I'm sure they wanted me to be on my own and think for myself. Independence means what, exactly? It was meaning that we would not have to depend on others for routine tasks such as mobility or academics or any other pursuits or activities. Here's the problem, though. We still have to learn mobility or braille or any other pursuits before we can start to read, write, calculate, or walk and take a bus. Everyone needs help from time to time. Anyone who thinks that we are supposed to be independent all the time, 24-7, is mistaken. I believe we need to be interdependent. We all need people we can trust. We all need to rely on each other. We don't have to lose our independence in order to be mutually beneficial to others. Even though independence has high-minded synonyms such as self-determination, autonomy, freedom, and liberty, that is not the whole story. None of us wants to be told what to do as blind people. However, name one person who was not influenced by others. Even when my parents touted independence, Dad would follow me to a store to pick up bread or some other grocery product as a child. I did feel betrayed at the time. I thought he trusted me, but clearly he was concerned about my safety and well-being. So, what do we do with this word we value so highly? Independence is a word we esteem so we can feel accomplished and proud of ourselves. Independence is how we feel as a community to feel that we cannot be coddled or not have others make decisions for us. However, without the mutual cooperation of others and working with others as we do in affiliates and as an organization, how will we put forward our values, goals, beliefs, and our identity as ACB? I hope we can have independence and interdependence as well as we are social beings and interconnected. We can accomplish our strategic planning and decisions as we go forth together. That is why we have an organization so that we can work together to work toward mutually agreed-upon goals. Oaks and Willows by Holly 
Tari. In many ways, the concept of independence makes me uncomfortable. Living on our own, marrying, having children, obtaining a meaningful career, and becoming active in our community are goals for which I have always strived. Through hard work, stubbornness, and God's blessings, I have achieved many of these. See if you relate to the following statements. You can't have kids. It's nice they gave you that job. No blind person can do. And the ever-popular, I'm assuming you will be marrying someone who is blind. To me, these clichés are opinions, not facts. Well, I was the youngest. My brother was and is a classified genius. It was always made clear to me that I was just average. Instead of discouraging me, this opinion made me more determined. I figured most of life's challenges are done by the golden mean. Therefore, I could succeed just fine. Sadly, it often appears to me that independence is viewed by some as an excuse to feel that asking for assistance is wrong. Appearing to be perfect at all costs is how success and achievement are viewed by these individuals. When I was a college freshman, I nearly succumbed to a nervous breakdown. I thought that if I ever got mad, made a mistake, or showed anything but a happy face, I was letting down the millions of blind people in America. After all, I might be the only one some people might meet. If I didn't look in control and well-dressed, all of you would suffer. My then-boyfriend suggested I might want to talk to someone about my unrealistic expectations. So, I visited the college counseling department. The woman with whom I met for several months mentioned that she liked the term interdependent much better. She said that an oak tree is strong and usually stands alone. It is the king of the forest. The lowly willow lives in thickets by running water. Its branches intertwine with others of its kind. When the stormy winds howl, often the oak will fall. It is not flexible enough to stand the battering. On the other hand, the willow will sway with its friends and stay intact. After the storm, it may be battered, but it is usually not beaten. So it is with ACB. We all work together toward common goals. Through our strength in numbers and our interdependence, great things have happened. Look at the ADA, video description, and a myriad of other accomplishments. Those lonely old oaks may look great, but what do they really do? Summer Memories by Jean Mann At this time of year, I often think of summers past, mostly those of my childhood. And some of my best memories are the three summers I went to Camp Wapanaki up in the hills of northern Vermont. It was run by the New York Institute for the Blind, a school in Bronx, New York. Many of the campers were from the New York City area, but others of us came from all over the country, Canada, and Puerto Rico. There were two four-week sessions, one for the boys in July and another for the girls in August. I went to the New York State School for the Blind in Batavia, New York, for my four years of high school, and one of our bus drivers and his wife drove us up to camp and back each summer. We would leave from the school early in the morning, 
pick up a few other girls at stops along the way and eventually stop for the night in a little town in northern New York called Tupper Lake. The next morning, we continued on, taking a ferry across Lake Champlain to Burlington, Vermont, and drove on until we reached the camp, which was outside of another little town called Hardwick, Vermont. We always stopped for lunch at an A&W in Hardwick. A&W was known for their root beer, but I remember the cheeseburgers and ice cream. Since August was girls' month, there were mostly female counselors, usually two for each cabin, but there were a few men around and one was assigned to each cabin to go on overnights and take part in other cabin activities. Most of them were in college and not too much older than we were. There were probably ten girls who had a crush on each one. We did all the usual things at camp, swam in the lake, went out in the rowboats and paddle boats and canoes if you were a good enough swimmer. I wasn't. We cooked over an open fire, learned to tie knots and put up tents, and other camp craft activities. We sang after every meal, at campfires, and every chance we got. Sometimes we took overnight trips or slept outside our cabin under the stars just for the fun of it. Every Tuesday afternoon, we hiked six miles into Hardwick to buy junk, so there were parties in all the cabins after taps on those nights. And we stopped at that famous A&W for ice cream on the way into town. There were hot dogs and beans waiting for us when we got back, and the rest of the evening was supposed to be set aside to write letters home, but that didn't usually happen. Sunday nights were our council fire nights. At the beginning of this session, the cabins were divided into two tribes, the Algonquins and the Iroquois. Each tribe was led into the council fire ring by their princess. I got to be the princess of the Iroquois tribe my last summer there. Accomplishments for the previous week were recognized at these meetings and badges were handed out. During the four weeks, there were competitions between the two tribes and the individual cabins. We had skit nights, talent shows, games, and athletic competitions. At the end of the summer, there were boating and swimming competitions. There was also a relay race where each camper was assigned a task, and they couldn't start until the person before them had finished theirs. My tribe won the year I was the princess, so I received a trophy at the final banquet, which I returned before I left the next day so it could be used again the next year. My cabin won best all-around cabin two of the three years I was there. Campers were sometimes selected for special trips. I was chosen to climb Mount Mansfield, the highest mountain in Vermont, two years in a row. After the first trip, I said I'd never do it again, but couldn't resist the challenge of climbing it again when I was picked the next summer. We camped out in a lean-to at the base of the mountain. The steak we cooked over the fire those nights was the best I ever ate. One of our counselors brought his guitar, so we sat by the fire and ate s'mores, sang folk songs, and told ghost stories. Another time, I took what was called the Canadian Hike, a 50-mile trek from camp to the Canadian border. It took us two and a half days. We carried our packs on our backs. One night, we slept in a stadium and the next night in an old barn on the property of somebody known to the camp. No stake on that trip. The counselors bought food on the way and we ate sandwiches and drank water. Lots of water. It was hot. 
one of my fellow hikers and I actually ran the last quarter mile or so. I wish I had some of that energy now. We all went to the camp infirmary when we got back to have our blisters attended to. Unfortunately, all good things come to an end, and before we knew it, the month was over and it was time to return to the real world. Our bus driver and his wife came to get us, and there were usually many tears shed as we drove away from camp. But we always stopped crying in time to ask them if we could hit that A&W for lunch for one last burger and ice cream cone. Then we reversed our route and arrived home late the next afternoon, just in time to head back to school. Years later, probably because colleges were starting earlier and counselors couldn't stay as late in August as they used to, Camp Wapanaki shortened its sessions and changed them to younger kids and older ones instead of boys and girls. They started holding a week-long session for adults after the kids went home. We couldn't wait to go back. We did many of the same things we'd done years before. We hiked into town. Somehow, the hills were a bit steeper than we remembered, and the A&W was gone. We camped out, but the ground was a little harder than it had been. We took trips into Stowe, Vermont, where we went out to dinner, bought souvenirs, and visited the Ben and Jerry's plant. We went back to Mount Mansfield, but rode the chairlift up the mountain this time. At night we sang, just like before, but we were in what was called the counselor's cabin, and the songs we sang and the jokes we told would not have been appropriate for young ears to hear. The beverages we drank would not have been served to us in our younger days either. The last time I went to Camp Wapanaki was in August of 1990. Because of the terrain and the rustic nature of the camp, it was becoming more and more difficult and expensive to maintain, and it was not accessible to children with multiple disabilities. So, it was closed and eventually sold to the Girl Scouts. It's still standing, but in disrepair. I don't know who currently owns the property or what will happen to it. I am amazed at how many people I've run into during my travels over the years who attended Camp Wapanaki and how much of an impact it had on all of our lives. It was one of those places you either loved or hated, and most of us loved it. Camp Wapanaki was the best. In Memoriam, Carol M. McCarl November 28, 1938 to May 2, 2019 by Sharon Lovering Carol M. McCarl, former chair of ACB's Board of Publications, founder and executive director of Blind Skills Incorporated, passed away May 2nd. She was 80. Carol was born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin. She was born with limited eyesight due to retinitis pigmentosa and attended and graduated from the Wisconsin School for the Visually Handicapped in 1955. As a kindergartner, she said that she wanted to be a teacher. Growing up, she wanted to be a librarian. She liked books and enjoyed reading. She also liked playing teacher as a little girl. In an interview with Karen Lynn Thomas, printed in Dialogues, May-June 2005 issue, she said, When I got into high school, I figured it out that I really would like teaching. I liked being in school, so I thought I could be at the other side of the desk. 
Carol went on to earn her bachelor's degree in elementary education from Edgewood College of the Sacred Heart and a master's in special education from Boston University. Following her graduation from Boston, she took a job as an itinerant teacher of blind children in the Waterbury School District, Waterbury, Connecticut. I sent letters all over the country, and I kept getting letters back that said, No, we don't want a blind teacher. On my last day in Boston, I had a call inviting me for an interview from the Superintendent of Public Instruction in Waterbury, Connecticut. Monday morning, I interviewed with Mike Wallace, and I said, You know I'm blind. He seemed to think there was nothing better than a successful blind adult teaching a blind child. Mr. Wallace gave me an unusual opportunity to design a new program to serve visually impaired students from K through 12. My plan included the requirement that children in kindergarten through the fourth grade learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, along with compensatory skills in one classroom with me in the morning. In the afternoon, the children were with their primary level teacher and classmates down the hall. I instructed students from 5th through 12th grade in the afternoon, meeting with them in their neighborhood schools. She was motivated by her students who were blind and attended public school, she said. They just didn't have any blind role models. There needed to be somebody to try and explain the abilities of blind children and their potential. Carol met her first husband, William Gerard Darwin, while summer teaching blind students in Waterbury. Carol moved to Oregon in 1964 to take a job as an elementary school teacher at the Oregon School for the Blind. Bill followed her, and the two were married at St. Joseph's Catholic Church on Halloween 1964. Over the next few years, they had two children and raised them in the Catholic faith. In 1970, she became the English and typing teacher for grades 7 through 9 at the Oregon School. A few years later, she took the job of itinerant teacher for grades K through 12 for four rural counties in Oregon. In 1983, Carol founded Blind Skills Incorporated and published Life Prints magazine for youth and young adults with vision loss for the next decade. I just thought I would start a magazine that would be for the teenagers and college students so they would have some way to know about resources and have some role models. That was the point. I only meant to publish a magazine. In 1990, she became the editor of Dialogue magazine. At the same time, she was the instructor for high school students and supervising teacher for Portland State University students training at the Oregon School for the Blind. Carol retired from teaching in 1994. A year later, Dialogue and Life Prints magazines merged to become Dialogue, a world of ideas for visually impaired people of all ages. Each issue contained lifestyle tips to help the visually impaired and their families. Her goal was to help blind children grow into fully functioning adults who face fewer obstacles and bigotry than their predecessors. When she wasn't working, Carol enjoyed music, dancing, going to the beach, and spending time with her family, especially the grandkids. She was an avid sports fan and followed the Green Bay Packers as both a fan and a one-share owner of the team. 
She enjoyed sharing the story of the time in 1998 when she traveled to the famous frozen tundra of Lambeau Field to attend a Packers home game. In 2006, McCarl received the Miguel Lay Volunteer Award from the American Foundation for the Blind. The award is the highest honor in the field of blindness and is presented annually to professionals and volunteers who have contributed to improving the lives of people who are blind or visually impaired. Also in 2006, she was working on a pamphlet to educate medical professionals about how to assist blind patients. The way people who are blind are treated by the medical profession is abysmal, she said, showing an advocate's spark. For that spark, she received many accolades, including the Salem Red Cross Chapters Community Partner Award. Carol is survived by her son, Pete Darrowin, and daughter, Janie Ray, three grandchildren, Stephanie Ray, Natalie Ray, and William Darrowin, and many other family members, friends, and former students. She was preceded in death by her parents, Elmer and Rose Broeren, and her three siblings, Lois Hannes and Dan and Helen Broeren, all of whom resided in Wisconsin. All are welcome to leave tribute messages at tinyurl dot com slash yxkt CS79. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that you consider a donation to Blind Skills Incorporated, 680 State Street, Salem, Oregon, 97301. Passings. We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name, first, last, maiden if appropriate. City of residence, upon passing. State, province of residence, upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence, places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation, date of death, Day, if known, month, year. Age. ACB affiliation. Local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Jerry Annunzio. Jerry Annunzio passed away on April 30, 2019, at the age of 82. Jerry was born on October 26, 1936, to Richard and Zoe Annunzio in Jefferson, Iowa. He started college at age 27 while he was married with two young children, and he earned three university degrees at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. He was a guidance counselor at Park Hill High School, department chair for four years, and retired after 26 years. He served in numerous national and professional organizations, including an appointment by Governor Carnahan. He was the tour coordinator for the American Council of the Blind for several years, as well as a board member, and was active in the Missouri Council of the Blind. He was always helpful and pleasant to work with. He earned his scuba certification to 130 feet at age 71. 
Jerry was preceded in death by his parents and his brother Rick. Survivors include his wife of 61 years, Edna, daughters, Zone, Dave, and Susan, Mike, his sister, Janie, sisters-in-law, Jesse and Marietta, grandkids, Jillian, Lauren, Andrew, Allie, Valentina, and Cody. A celebration of his life was held in May at Park Hill Christian Church. Burial at Whitechapel Cemetery followed. In lieu of flowers, memorials are suggested to Park Hill Christian Church, 6601 Northwest 72nd Street, Kansas City, Missouri, 64151, or Kansas City Hospice Foundation, KCHPC, 1500 Meadow Lake Parkway, Suite 200, Kansas City, Missouri, 64114. Here and There. Edited by Sharon Strakowski. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille form cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Congratulations to Kim Charlson. Kim Charlson, Executive Director of the Perkins Library, is this year's recipient of the Francis Joseph Campbell Award. Given by the Association of Specialized Government and Cooperative Library Agencies, the prestigious award honors leaders in library services for people with visual impairments who have made remarkable contributions to the field. The award was presented at the ASGCLA Achievement Awards Ceremony on June 22nd at the ALA Annual Conference in Washington, D.C. Braille Institute's Anaheim Center The Braille Institute has a new building called the Anaheim Center, a 14,700-square-foot building on the Institute's existing campus. The new structure includes a 2,500-square-foot learning resource center featuring a library, computer lab, low-vision consultation area and counseling space, as well as designated areas for Braille reading education and self-defense training. There is also a 2,100-square-foot multi-purpose room, four classrooms, an art and ceramics studio, training kitchen, and multiple technology labs. Gardens and gathering spots surround the exterior of the building, where there is also a dog run and open-air courtyard. For more information, visit www.brailleinstitute.org slash A-N-A-H-E-I-M. Visiting Boston this year? 
Blindways is an app that gives next bus arrival predictions that are even more accurate and reliable for people in the greater Boston area. This app picks up where GPS leaves off, guiding travelers to within a cane's distance of MBTA bus stop signs using reliable navigational clues and Bluetooth beacons where available. If you're visiting the Boston area and plan to use MBTA Transit, download Blindways from the App Store. The newest update of Blindways includes support for the latest iOS version and devices. The next bus arrival predictions are now powered by official MBTA data. Bosma names new CEO. Bosma Enterprises has tapped COO Jeffrey Mittman to serve as its next CEO effective August 1st. Having lost his vision while on active military duty in Iraq, Mittman becomes the first chief executive in the organization's 100-year history who is blind. Master Sergeant Mittman joined Bosma Enterprises' board of directors in 2012 and was hired as COO in July 2018. In that role, he has overseen a 25% increase in productivity in the organization's packaging and logistics operations, which last year packaged and shipped more than 480 million exam gloves to Department of Veterans Affairs hospitals throughout the country. New accessible basic cell phone available. Do you remember Odin Mobile and the accessible Odin VI phone? Raz Mobility, founded by Robert Felgar, a former Odin Mobile staffer, has a new version of that phone called Lucia that allows blind and visually impaired individuals to use a basic mobile phone just like their sighted peers. The phone has a tactile keypad with big buttons in different colors and shapes, as well as a voice guide that reads what is on the screen and speaks the names of the buttons you've pressed. For more information, visit www.razmobility.com. Braille Poetry Contest Winners National Braille Press recently announced its poetry contest winners for 2018. The theme was Nature. They are Category K-2 through I Went on a Nature Walk by Cooper Jewell Category 3-5 through Autumn by Charlie Pryor Category 6-8 through Untitled by Raphael Shudder Category 9 through 12, One of Many by Cameron Clark. Category Adult, The Thompson River Flows by Paul Martz. With over 60 entries to choose from, it was a hard decision. Thank you to all our entrants, and we encourage you to enter future contests. To read the winning poems, visit tinyurl dot com slash y twenty seven w four w x s libraries of the year the carnegie library of pittsburgh library for the blind and physically handicapped clp lbph is this year's regional library of the year and the talking book center tbc in stanton virginia 
is the sub-regional library, advisory, and outreach center of the year. Outreach was a big part of CLP-LBPH's success last year. Library employees visited 131 sites in 15 counties, spreading the word about the Braille and Talking Book program to more than 3,400 people. The library also put an emphasis on multicultural outreach. In an effort to respond to the needs of users, the library translated all of its welcome packet materials into Spanish. It was one of the first large libraries in the NLS network to pilot a new duplication-on-demand program that allows libraries to download audio files from NLS servers and create talking book cartridges customized with patrons' requests. The TBC focused attention on outreach and engagement over the past year, increasing its circulation by 15%. In 2018, it began a monthly newsletter and participated in Stanton's Queen City Mischief and Magic Festival, where volunteers brailed visitors' names on index cards along with a wizard word, then gave them a braille alphabet card to decipher the code. TBC also co-hosted a book reading with local author Phyllis Statton Campbell and created a hands-on exhibit showcasing NLS services going back to its founding in 1931. Need some joy? Becky Miller has compiled a short book of her favorite scriptures on joy. The book is about 20 pages long and is available in Grade 1, Grade 2, and UEB Braille. Contact Becky via phone 804-328-1831 or email L-U-V-numeral-2-B-E-A-S-I-N-G-E-R numeral-1 at gmail.com for more information. Memoir Released Music from the Heart recently released Grit, a Family Memoir on Adversity and Triumph by Jeff Moyer. Grit tells the story of the Moyer family's struggle overcoming multiple disabilities and inhuman institutionalization beginning before the disability rights movement changed the American landscape. In 1954, Mark Moyer, Jeff's younger brother, was born with a severe cognitive disability. Two weeks before Mark was born, Jeff, then age five, began to lose his vision due to a rare retinal disease. Grit follows the parallel stories of Mark's suffering within state institutions and Jeff's progressive blindness and maturation as an advocate leader within the disability rights movement. It is available as a print book and ebook. Visit jeffmoyer.com for more information. High Tech Swap Shop For Sale Pearl Open Book Camera Reading Machine, like new, in good condition, uses a computer, asking $400. Sarah C. Reading Machine by Humanware, like new, in good condition, asking $400. Call Jerome at 812-924-7881. For sale. IPAL Solo from ABIC for $400 or best offer.
This is an easy-to-use standalone reading machine that will scan and read printed documents out loud. Read more about it at www.abisee.com slash e-y-e dash p-a-l dash s-o-l-o dot h-t-m-l. CareTech Colorino device for color identification and light detection. Asking $75 or best offer. If interested in either item, contact Philip Ashley via email p-h-i-l-i-p dot a-s-h-l-e-y numeral one numeral eight at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m or by phone 703-581-9587. ACB Officers President Kim Charlson, 3rd Term, 2019, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. 1st Vice President Dan Spoon, 1st Term, 2019, 3924 Lake Mirage Boulevard, Orlando, Florida, 32817-1554. 2nd Vice President, John McCann, 2nd Term, 2019, 8761 East Placida Bolivar, Tucson, Arizona, 85715-5650. Secretary, Ray Campbell, 3rd Term, 2019, 460 Rain Tree Court, Number 3K, Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Treasurer, David Trott, 1st Term, 2019, 1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. Immediate Past President, Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. ACB Board of Directors, Jeff Bishop, Kirkland, Washington, first term, 2020. Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington, First Term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, Second Term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, First Term, 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, Second Term, 2022. James Crott, Miami, Florida, First Term, 2022. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, first term, 2020. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, second term, 2022. Michael Talley, Hueytown, Alabama, first term, 2022. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, first term, 2022. Ex officio, Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington. ACB Board of Publications Ron Brooks, Chair, Phoenix, Arizona, 
Third Term, 2019. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida. Second Term, 2020. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California. Second Term, 2019. Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington. Second Term, 2020. Penny Reeder, Montgomery Village, Maryland. First Term, 2020. Ex-Officios. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. Burl Collie, Lacey, Washington. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email on the ACB website via download from the web page in Word, plain text, or Braille ready file or by phone at 605-475-8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available on ACB's webpage and by phone 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader Stream or from acb.org slash b-r-a-i-l-l-e dash f-o-r-u-m.